Welcome to Dallas. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, man. I feel warmly welcomed. I'm really happy to be here. I love Christmas. I love you guys. Uh, I want to pray, and then we're going to get into the message today. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this time, for this season. Lord, I thank you for the word that you've put on my heart. Father, I pray that you speak through me, that I decrease, that you increase, that the word that you have touches someone's heart today, that we may leave here better than we walked in. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start by telling you all about a moment in my life. Um, I'm going to paint the picture for you. So it's October, a chilly night in October. The year is 2013. I'm in about 10th grade, and I'm preparing to go on what will be one of the most important missions of my life up to this point. And I'm young for my grade, so I'm not driving yet. So I have to call one of my best friends to take me to the location that I need to go to. So I pick up the phone, I call Brandon, I say, hey, Brandon, I explained to him what I'm about to do, and he empathizes with me. He said, oh, man, of course, of course, I'll take you. But, I, but he tells me that he, he has somewhere to be around that same time, so he has to drop me off somewhere close to that location. And he says, well, just have the people that you're meeting with come pick you up from where I drop you off at. I say, no problem. He comes to my house, I get in the car, and immediately we start talking about the weight of the situation that I'm about to step into. We start, you know, analyzing it. He gives me his advice. I share my, his advice. I share my concerns. And as we're talking about it, I'm beginning to get nervous. And then finally, we get to the location where he decides to drop me off. It's a park. And uh, the park isn't really well lit. Um, there's maybe a street light uh, or two around. But the bench that I decided to sit on wasn't lit at all. It was dark. I sit down on the bench. It's cold. <sighs> my hands are beginning to sweat. Uh, it's almost as if I can feel each piece of mulch under my sneakers, and I'm thinking about what I'm about to do. I'm thinking about it. I'm getting nervous about it. I can feel the angst build up in my body. And then finally, uh, SUV lights pierce through the October fog, and, and um, it's my ride. So, so I walk up to the car. I take a deep breath as I'm about to open the back seat door, and I sit on the leather seats, and I hear a voice coming from the front seat. It says, hi, Rudy. My name is Miss Hushin. Nice to meet you. I'm meeting the parents of my high school girlfriend. Now, this is an important moment because for me to accurately understand my relationship with her, well, I have to know a little bit about her, her parents. See, if I want this relationship to go the distance, then I have to know a little bit about where she comes from. So, you know, it's, it's really uh, in my best interest to make a good first impression and learn about her parents to know a little bit about her. And a little spoiler alert, it didn't work out. <laughs> Um, she's a great girl, you know, we're still friends, we text from time to time. But I tell you this today because we're going to do a similar thing and have a similar moment. We're going to meet the parents of Jesus. So the title of this message is called Meet the Parents. So often parenting can be thankless work, so we want to show the parents some love today. And it's a story or parts of scripture that a lot of us may uh, be familiar with, but I want to encourage us to try to look at these scriptures with fresh eyes today, because the reality is, is that truth is always applicable, and the quickest way to undervalue something is to allow it to get familiar to you, and, you know, that could be a word for our marriages or our friendships today, but it's true with our relationship with God as well. 
So I'm going to look at Mary, and then Brad's going to come up later and, and look at Joseph, and we'll see what we can learn from their, from their stories. So I'm going to read um, from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. So I'll go ahead and jump into it. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town called Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. She's a fiancé. Hey, um, so uh, a descendant of David. She's pledged to be married to Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name is Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled by his words. It's interesting that Mary was troubled by his words, because this seems to be great news. Greetings, you're highly favored. The Lord is with you. That seems to be all good. But so often, this is our experience when we realize that God has called us to do something. So Mary was greatly troubled by his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. I love this, because the angel in this moment is the voice of God. And so, so often, we step into situations, we step into moments and we have to listen and allow the voice of God to speak to our hearts and say, hey, don't be afraid to remind us of our, of our identity. We are strong and courageous. We are not to be afraid. So the Mary, the, the angel says, Mary, you have found favor with God. Verse 31, you will conceive and give birth. So she's found favor with God. She will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asks the angel, since I am a virgin? That's a reasonable question. How am I going to have a child when I'm a virgin? And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, that's still not much of an explanation there of how a virgin is going to have a baby, but we'll take it. It's an angel. Okay. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her, own, in her old age, and she was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. That's a word right there. No word from God will ever fail. Mary replies, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. So I love this text because Mary knew she had found favor with God because she was given an assignment. See, if we go back to the text, it says, you have found favor with God, you will conceive and give birth. So that was the indication that she had found favor with God. And the assignment, it came with confusion. Remember, she asked, how will this be? Right? And it's interesting because it didn't come with any instruction. It only explained the power source that would enable her to do it. Remember, the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. See, this seems like a big responsibility, like a heavy assignment. But the angel still says that Mary had found favor with God. She had been chosen by him. See, I think many of us think finding favor with God feels kind of like being the favorite child, 
right? Look at the parents in here trying to act like y'all don't have favorite children. We know. It's not a secret, right? Or, or maybe it feels like being a teacher's pet or, or a star athlete. But I will submit to you that that's not what it means to find favor with God. See, I think that some of us think that, you know, so we pursue God thinking, if there's any perks I can get out of this life from being a spiritual person or developing a relationship with God, then I'm just going to do it so I leave nothing on the table. And while that thinking is not completely incorrect, it is incomplete. Because while God does bless us with things that we don't deserve, that's not the foundation, that's not the, the substratum of what it means to find favor with God. So we act like we know the story of Mary so well, but I think that if Mary were here, she would say that she knows us better than we know her. See, I think this is true because Mary's proximity was, with the Creator was so close. She understands how He works in our lives. She understands how He decides to show up in us. See, I think if Mary were standing here today, she would say, I see myself in every single one of you. See, I don't want to make the room weird today, but what I'm really trying to say is that everyone here is pregnant. Repeat after me, say I'm pregnant. <laughs> you guys are skeptical. Wait, maybe I'm not Or someone says, wait, how does he know? No, no, no. What I'm trying to say is that that may not be true in biology, but it is true in theology. See, Mary was pregnant with the physical manifestation of God, but the Bible says that you're pregnant with the spiritual manifestation. So if we go to Scripture, if we go to Colossians 1, 25 through 27, it says, I have become its servant by the commission of God who gave me to present the word to you, the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen. There's that chosen. She had been chosen by God. So then God is chosen to make known among the Gentiles, Gentiles in this context could just uh, mean people who don't know God, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, Christ in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So with that being said, there's a few things that I want us to see um, in Mary's story that we can learn from. And the first thing is that God loves to use people. And he loves to use people for his most important missions. He loves to use people so much that he used a person to bring forth the physical manifestation of himself. If we look at the scriptures, really they're just stories about God using people to accomplish his purposes. Now, when God uses people, it's not the same as when we use people. God uses us because he's more concerned about what happens in us. That's his primary way of blessing us. He uses us, right? See, God, I always say that God is more concerned with who we become than what we acquire. So often we're, playing, we're praying for external blessing from God, but God is really trying to do an internal work in you, right? So if we look at his relationship with the Israelites, the Israelites were, you were stuck in captivity for years and years and years. And in Jeremiah, when, God, when they're about to go in, God says, I'm about to send you into captivity. It's going to be hard. It's going to be long. It's going to be arduous. And then later in Scripture, he reveals, but in the end, my law will be written on the tablet of your heart. So generations after, they won't have to ask who God is, but they will know. 
See, God is more concerned with who we become than what we acquire. He wants to use us because there's a work that he's trying to do inside of us. I mean, it's just simple. If you think about it, it's, diff- it's just the difference in someone having to work for something and the other person being given it. Giving someone a gift is great, and we should, and we should receive gifts and all of that. But if you ask someone who was given it versus the person who had to work for it, the person who had to work for it probably can tell you how it changed them. They maybe had a transformative experience in going throughout that process. See, God is a God of partnership. He wants to, he wants to use us. He, he blesses us by giving us an assignment, and we see that in Mary's life. And... I think another thing that we can see from the text and see in the life of Mary is that God has placed something inside of you that's supposed to bring forth his glory. God has placed something inside of you. And really my burden today is just to help someone believe and understand that there is something unique that God has placed inside of you that is bigger than you, that's for the people around you, that's for um, his glory. See, God has called us to be salt and light in the world. So if we're going to be salt, if we're going to be light, if we're going to display the goodness of God, well, that would have to mean that there's something inside of us that's worth displaying. There's something inside of us that, that depicts his goodness. There's something inside of us that, is, that, is, that characterizes his blessing, his, his favor. So I don't know what it is that's inside of you. Uh, maybe it's a dream, maybe it's a vision, uh, an assignment, something that you didn't ask for. It's, it's immaculate conception, right? It's, it's something that's just innate in you, part of your, your wiring and your, and your DNA. Maybe you feel called to pray for people. Like when you hear people's needs, like on the spot, in person, you feel called to pray over them. Or maybe you wake up with an encouraging word and people say maybe you're, you're too positive, but, but you just know that there's something inside of you. You have a keen ability to be able to see the good in people. So when you think something good about someone, text them, let them know, tell them in person because, because there's a light inside of you. There's something inside of you that God wants to reveal through you. Or, or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's a, it's a business or, or maybe it's a, it's a nonprofit. Maybe you always have new ideas and you're really good with systems or, 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 or whatever it is. Just understand that there is something that is placed in you that you did not go looking for that God needs you to bring forth to, to show his goodness in the world. There's something inside of you. And the last thing that's important to see in Mary's story is that when God chooses you, it will cost you something. It'll cost you something. So we hear a lot about the Immaculate Conception. We hear a lot about the birth of Jesus, but we don't really hear about any of the trimesters, right? We don't hear about the, the parts that, that, were, that were difficult. We don't hear about the, the morning sickness, right? I mean, I don't have experience with this, but I, I, I can tell you that it's not fun probably. See, when a burden is so heavy on your life, when, when, you, when you have an assignment, it literally can make you sick, right? When, like, when you feel called to do something, when you feel called to act, there's a divine discontent. You, maybe you see unhoused people and you can't turn away, or kids not having their basic needs in your community literally keeps you up at night. See, it, it quite literally makes you sick, and then it also makes you sick because then you realize that you can't do it on your own. See, you become hyper aware of your insufficiency and, and you begin to doubt. It, it quite literally 
makes you sick. There's an uncomfortability. There's an unease because you're, you're carrying something, right? There are some mornings, even when you accept the mission of God on your life, there are some mornings you're going to wake up and be like, I don't know if I can do this, right? I don't, I don't want to do this. I, 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 I want to quit. I want to give up. I, I don't have it in me. But for the glory set before you, 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 you endure, right? You keep going. Another reality of being chosen by, another thing that it, it'll cost you is things that you used to do or a person you used to be. You ever realize that when you say yes to something, you say no to something else, right? So when you say yes to a new work opportunity, you say no to predictability. Or when you say yes to family time, you're saying no to, to me time. Or when you say yes to waking up in the morning and, and working out, you say no to sleeping in or or when you say yes to budgeting, you say no to Amazon. Come on, somebody. Now, now notice that all of the things that I, that I said we say no to, they aren't inherently bad, but they just don't compare to what you're saying yes to. Right? So I think some of us want the favor of God. We want God to use us. We want to live out our calling, but we don't want to give up anything that we're currently enjoying. We don't want to say no to anything. And that's... And the reality of that is, is you, can't, you can't do that. You're going to have to lose something. When there's a value, there's a cost. So you're going to have to say no to some things. And another thing I noticed in the text is that the angel said the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of God will overshadow you. But the angel didn't explain how she would deal with the people who she might lose. Brad's going to come up soon, and he's going to talk about Joseph and the struggle that he had with even staying with her. Or, so we can infer that because of historical context and what it meant to be pregnant out of wedlock, that she probably lost some friends. Or there are probably even people questioning her motives, thinking, how could she believe that she's carrying the, the Son of God? See, <laughs> this might play out in your life. People might say, how can you believe that you're supposed to be the one to spearhead the emotional and relational health in our family? Or how can you believe that you're going to change the financial lineage of, uh, of this family? Or why do you feel like that when you say something to someone that your words matter? Or why do you feel like that you should pray for people? Are you super spiritual? But, but you have to understand that when there's a calling on your life, everyone is not going to understand it. You might, you might lose some, some people. So if we look at Mary's story, I think that, like I said before, she... She's not that far off. God used her in a similar way that, that he uses us, right? He, first, he, he shows us that he, he loves to use people. He puts something in Mary himself for, to, to, to bring forth his glory. See, that's what God does. He uses the one to bless the many, right? He, he uses one person to bless the money. He uses one country, Israel, to bless the many. He, he does, it's not favoritism. It's just that he chooses people because what it, what it does inside of them, it, it changes you. So with that being said, I'm going to have Brad come up and talk a little bit about Joseph. Joseph often doesn't get talked about a whole lot in the Christmas story. So let's see what Brad has to say about that. All right, before you, before you run off, I want to I say something here about Rudy. So... We met for dinner to talk about this back a couple weeks ago, and I had an idea for this morning, and it was really centered on Mary's song, and how many times humility or being humble or how God raises up the humble was used, 
And Rudy just noticed as we read it together, you know, in this restaurant in Leesburg, he said, you know, it's, it's amazing to me that God just wants to use people. And I wonder if we, like, bring that into the message. And we ended up actually writing this message around what you had noticed and what you really felt that we needed to center on. And I just, I knew in my gut, I knew in my spirit, this is, this is where we need to go. And his passion was for you to see that God is calling you. God wants to use you. And I love that heart for our church and for these people and for me. And I just, this is just an honor. Thank you. Thank you for setting, setting this up. Rudy's so right. When you, get, when you look at the Christmas story, you get a picture, you get a glimpse of how God wants to use us. He wants to use people. He's always wanted to use us. From Eden, from the very beginning, God's call, his ultimate design for us, was for us to image him, to reflect him, to speak his truth out, his hope, his creative love to the world. We spend a lot of time here talking about this reality. This has never changed. And Rudy in that dinner said, you know, it's interesting that God uses people so much that when he decided to come, he came as a person. He came to show us what it's like to actually image God, what, it, what it's like for a human to correctly reflect the glory and character, the reality of God. And not only that, when he chose to come as a person, as a human, he came through humans. And I said, Rudy, this is just, I've known that, I've understood it. I don't think I've ever really seen it just so crystallized. The repetitive movement of God to constantly want to use people in his plan for other people. And we see this in Mary's life. And so far early in the Christmas story, there are two main characters. So far, as far as we've read, there's, there's two right now. And Mary dominates the story over Joseph, I think deservedly so. She actually carried Jesus. We know more about Mary. There's more context given to us about her. So I understand that. But sadly, some parts of the world, in some parts of the world, she actually dominates the story even over Jesus. So if we're not careful, we can miss this lesser-known character of Joseph and what God wants to communicate to us about him, where we see ourselves in the story of Joseph. Rudy's point about Mary made me so interested, and I said, you know what, I think I want to I focus on Joseph. I want to look at how does God, what, what, what's going on inside of Joseph to show us how God uses people how he calls people like us. In Matthew chapter 1, we read, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph was a righteous man, yet he did not want to disgrace her publicly, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people. Jesus is the 
the Old Testament name that means rescuer, savior. He will save his people from, his, from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God physically with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. One of the things we know about Joseph is that God saw him as a righteous man. Now, righteous is one of these words that sounds churchy, uh, We don't walk around saying, I'm trying to be righteous today, or I I want to have, you know, you may not even say, I want to have a righteous heart. But righteous is an important word that we understand. Righteous means to care about what's right. That's actually the definition of someone being righteous. They care about what's right. They care about doing what's right. They care about speaking or living out what's right. And... In God's terms, God's righteousness in us is us caring about what's right to God. Not necessarily to our neighbor, not necessarily compared to how we were raised, but what what does God consider? What is God's plan? What does God say is right in this circumstance? That's, That's God's righteousness. Righteous can be you wanting to earn a good living for your family. That actually can be a righteous thought, a righteous motivation. Righteousness, a person being righteous, could be wanting to be presentable, wanting to dress nice and look nice rather than be messy or sloppy. That's actually a righteous thought. Righteous can be caring about having a good reputation in the community rather than being looked down on or having a just a negative kind of air about you. That's a righteous thought. But oh, how flawed, broken people can ever so easily take something that was right, that was a pure motivation, it was something good for our family. You could have a righteous thought about retirement. I don't want to be needy in retirement. I don't want to have to depend on others. I want to save well. How easily broken people can move from a right thinking into self-righteousness, where we're now suddenly thinking about our future or our control or our resources or relationships in our lives or our reputation in a warped kind of way where we're no longer thinking what's right with God or what, what, what is God's plan? What is God's intent here? What we've elevated that idea to is what I think is right for me, in my plan, in my agenda. And we'll call that self-righteousness, particularly when we're now comparing our opinions to someone else, or what we think is the right way to live compared to how someone else is living. That self-righteousness is just always creeping. It's always hovering, looming or something that was well-intended. Crosses the line where we're no longer considering, what does God think? How does God want to use my relationships? 
How does God want to use my home? What is God's plan for my future? In the ancient world, marriage occurred in two phases. We don't really understand this in our culture. The closest thing we have is to, to the betrothal. The betrothal period was about a year on average the, in, in the ancient world and certainly in the Jewish world. The betrothal would last about a year. And in our culture, we'd say, oh, that's being engaged. But when you're engaged in our culture, it's not really official. There's nothing official about it. When you were betrothed, in the first century as a Jewish person, you were half married. You were already partly married. And then about a year later would be the homecoming. And the homecoming would be more of the ceremony. And then you're now as a couple, like a regular part of society, a regular part of the village or the community. And that would be the completion of the marriage. Joseph is already formally married to, to, to Mary. And what we know is that he's righteous. He's righteous not just in his own desires for being right. He's righteous in considering what, what matters to God. What matters to the Mosaic law, the law of Moses? What is God's heart? What, is God, what are God's words? And so when he finds out this news, we're, we're given the word yet. He's a righteous man. God sees him as righteous, yet... And this is this tension that we see unfold here in Joseph's life. I mean, just imagine it. We understand the Christmas story. We sing it in songs. We know what happened. But think about this. You have married this woman. You've begun the process of marrying her. You're now halfway through it. You're betrothed to her. And you learn the news. He probably learns this from Mary, that she's pregnant. And so he was righteous, verse 19. He's a righteous man, yet, and this word yet tells us a lot. He's righteous. I want to do what's pleasing to God. And so what does the Mosaic law say? What does is, what is the Old Testament law tell me? I must disclose the sin of Mary publicly. That's what he's instructed to do. So he's righteous. He wants to do the right thing, yet he doesn't want to publicly disgrace her. So Joseph is trying, even in his deep, profound heart for God, he's trying to sort out, what do I do here? I, I, I love her. I don't want to humiliate her. If I publicly disgrace her, this is going to ruin her life. She'll live in poverty the rest of her life. She'll never be welcomed. She'll be an outcast the rest of her life, and so will her parents. Her parents will probably be outcast from the community. So he's trying to do what is the right thing to do in God's eyes in, in these days. And it's hard before the cross and the resurrection for us to understand the concept of calling out sin, calling someone out. We're so grateful for grace. And so in this grace era, on this side of the cross, we have trouble wrapping our minds around it was God's plan. It was God's law that you call out the sin. So he's wanting to do what's right, yet he doesn't want to publicly humiliate her. And so he plans. We don't know a lot about Joseph, but we know he develops a plan. And you and I have plans. Plans that we think are right. He plans. He sets a strategy. He sets an agenda. And this is through weeping, I'm sure, and heartache, and sleepless nights, 
trying to do what's right, yet he doesn't want to humiliate her. So he plans to divorce her quietly. Now here's the big question that I have thought before through Christmas seasons for many years. And if you've followed Jesus and if you've cherished this story in Scripture for any length of time, and maybe you're new to faith, and so maybe this story and really digging into it is newer for you, but if you've followed Jesus for any length of time, you've probably, you've probably stumbled on this question yourself. And I've never publicly address this question. I've never taught on it. I've never on stage referred to this. But here's the question. Why does God wait? Why does God wait to tell Joseph God's plan after Joseph learns the news, the shocking news of what's happened with his fiance? Does that make sense? Why does God wait until after Joseph learns the news, he's in shock, he's probably in horror, distraught, I'm sure is not the word, and so Joseph tries to sort through what is right, right in his own mind, and his own conscience, and right to God, and he develops a plan. I know what I'll do, I'll honor God by divorcing her, but I'm going to try to do this as quietly as possible. Why does God wait for Joseph to have to go through the shock and come up with his own plan before God says, hey, Joseph, here's what's happening? You ever wonder that? You ever wonder, why did, God, why didn't you make this clear to me in college? Why didn't you, if you could have just shown up a couple months ago, wouldn't it make sense if you're writing the story, if you're planning the arrival of God in the world? Doesn't it make sense to you like it does in my mind that Maybe you give Joseph some advanced warning. How about a month earlier, before anything we read here, God shows up and says, hey, Joseph, okay, this is going to be hard to believe, but a month from now, an angel, yes, an angel, is going to show up to Mary and deliver this astounding news. And I just want you to be prepared. I want you to not respond defensively. I don't want you to freak out and lose your mind. I want you to be ready. To... Doesn't that make sense? Why does God wait? I believe it's the interruption. I believe it's God interrupting Joseph's plan that is to speak to you and me so loudly. This has become so profound. I've read this story. When I say hundreds, sometimes that's just kind of hyperbole. I think I've read this story hundreds of times. And it's never been so pronounced with me as the night that Rudy and I were sitting at dinner talking this through, reading together the story of Mary and the story of Joseph. And it just becomes so loud and pronounced that God sometimes chooses to interrupt our plans. Joseph agreeing to the interruption aligns him with God's timing, God's heart, what God's will is. I think it's so easy to serve God and be passive. You know, like God's there. God has a plan. When it's just not so disruptive. There's something counter to what humans did in, in the garden when we broke creation. When we took control. When we said, no, you know, we think we'll do it better. I actually want to be God. I don't want to just image him. I don't want to just reflect his good. I want to actually be God. I want to be in control. 
<clears throat> there's something counter to that when we allow God to interrupt us. When we allow him to interrupt our strategy or our plan or our timing. See, it, it begins to level set us and move us back to who we were intended to be in the garden, in Eden. When we say, God, this is what looks right to me, but you're saying that is right, and I'm going to choose what you say is right. See, this is the heart and the person and the makeup that God uses to change the world. And to Rudy's point, it brings us back to God uses people like Mary and Joseph, meaning you and me. We so revere Mary and Joseph. And what's sad about the level of reverence for Mary in some parts of the world is that we can so put her on a pedestal, we can't relate to her anymore. God chooses a very humble, very humble, she would never have been remembered or known in history kind of person to bring his life through. That's the point of God choosing Mary and Joseph. These are just average, would never have been named in history, people. And God is looking for the person who's not perfect, who's not famous, who doesn't have a lot of wealth, but has the spirit to be interrupted by his righteousness, what's right to him. See, if you allow what's right to you to be disrupted so much that you'll change course and say yes to what's right to God, he can do anything through you. It doesn't matter the mistakes in your life. It doesn't matter how obscure your life has been. It doesn't matter. You're the material that God wants to use. Mary was going to be with Jesus. She was going to be with him. Throughout his life, we hear her mentioned, we see her mentioned throughout many of the gospel accounts that Mary was there with other women and such a profound reality that Jesus includes a group of women in his leadership. Several Marys, actually. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is one of them. And we see her at the cross. And we see her at the empty tomb. We see Mary very involved and very close to Jesus. And so if Joseph divorced, if Joseph acts on what seems right to him and ignores what is right to God, Joseph would have missed. He would not have been with Jesus. He would not have even been with Jesus at his birth. And see, this is another very relevant part of Joseph. God's plan, what was right to God, is that Jesus would be born in the tiny little obscure, outside of the capital city village of Bethlehem. This was very intentional. God was not coming for kings. He was not going to be born in a palace. He was going to be born in a horse trough in little Bethlehem. And that would never have happened if Joseph had divorced her. They, Joseph had to be with Mary and with Jesus for them to register for the census, according to his family lineage, to be in Bethlehem. Joseph nearly by nearly divorcing Mary, nearly missed God's plan. And would have left Joseph in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I think sometimes we find ourselves in the wrong place at the wrong time, wondering when God's going to show up. God, where are you? Here I am again crying out to you, God. When what really happened is we just chose what was right to us. 
and ignored what was right to God. When God is predictable, we're okay with him. When God wants to interrupt and disrupt our plans, this is where we can stress out and end up still choosing what we think is right, what seems right to us. God uses people to carry out his most important plans. God wants to use you to carry out his important plan right now, this coming year, on your street, in your place of work, in your school. Maybe it doesn't involve thousands of people. Maybe it doesn't involve hundreds of people. Maybe it's one person. This year, we talked about this last week, where Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke to one friend, Theophilus. Little did he know the reach and the impact that all of us would be reading his letter. You have no idea the impact and the extent to which God could work by you just being available and interruptible to love and sit with one person. Is it possible that you're moving away from God's plan toward the wrong place, toward the wrong time? Simply by focusing on what's right to you. What is your own righteousness rather than what's right to God? His right time. His right plan for your life. In verse 20, I want to read again, but after he'd considered this, after he'd considered his plan, after he'd developed his strategy, I'm going, to, I'm going to do what's right. I'm going to try to please God and also protect Mary, who I still love. After he developed the plan, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to, to, to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill the promise in the Old Testament that Emmanuel would come. And then verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. If you're tempted to say ever, and I remember, younger in my faith, I actually thought this about Joseph. Well, come on. This is kind of easy, isn't it? It's easy to obey God when an angel shows up and says, hey, Brad, look at me. I'm terrifying I'm so beautiful. I have to tell you, don't be afraid. I know this is super crazy, but here's God's plan. Isn't that a little easy? It's like Joseph has this sort of unfair advantage when we're trying to discern God's plan in the businesses we're starting in our work and trying to figure out how to parent our kids and when our kids are so different from each other and we're trying to make sense out of life, you just want an angel to show up and clarify it all. But don't you know what we do? Don't you know what we humans do? It's like when something's so clear, an experience with God was so clear, maybe God spoke to you so clearly. Do you know how many people tell me, and this has nothing to do with me, this is all about the Holy Spirit's voice. So many people will tell me on Sunday mornings or out here or text me, it was as if God was speaking to me this morning at church. I hear that a lot. It's as if you know exactly what's going on in my house right now. And I'm like, I promise I don't. I'm not reading your mail. And then <clears throat> by Thursday, it's so easy. Like, 
Was that God? Maybe I was just feeling emotional in church. We so easily question. I think some of us could have an encounter with an angel and by next Saturday we're questioning. Is this God, is, isn't my plan right? I think my plan's right. I think it makes more sense. And maybe it takes an angel to tell you that your fiance's pregnant and it was God's doing. Maybe, let's just give Joseph a little bit of slack here. God knows what we need. He knows what gets our attention. For Moses, it was a burning bush in a desert where there were bushes that would just ignite. This one didn't burn up. There was something about that encounter that got Moses' attention. And God will do and say and bring the right person and maybe a Sunday morning message and maybe a Rudy or maybe one of your group members here at church or a friend. Someone is going to speak God's heart to confirm to you his direction, his planning, what's right to him. The question is whether you're going to choose to be interruptible, to allow your plan, your agenda to be disrupted. Luke chapter 2, Luke's account. I was reading from Matthew in Luke's account, and he simply tells us in verse 4, so Joseph also went. Man, that must have been hard. Joseph's life will never be the same. People will not believe his story. He was reputable in the community. I'm sure that not only did God see him as righteous, but the community saw him as righteous, and he's going with her story. But Joseph also went. Three weeks ago, Lou and I, Lou Pizzoli here, we, we have lunch often, most weeks, and we were at lunch one day. I picked him up, and we were heading down Loudoun County Parkway in South Riding towards the Home Depot, towards Route 50, if you can picture that. And if you, know, if you know that area, it crosses Tall Cedars, and that's a very busy intersection. And we see, for the first time ever, a serious traffic jam in that intersection. We're approaching, and there's just brake lights everywhere, and it's like something's happened, and there's just cars in every direction. And we get there, and we creep up to the intersection and realize cars are swerving from all directions in the middle of the intersection around a pickup truck that had lost off the bed a toolbox where... When I say hundreds, it might have been thousands of nails or screws. Let's say hundreds. It was nails and screws everywhere. And this poor guy is on his hands and knees with cars just going right around him. And he must have also been worried about other people's tires and he's responsible. And Lou and I are like, oh, this is what's going on. And we pass and we get through the, the, the second traffic light and Lou says, we should go help that guy. I'm going to tell you, my instinct was, well, it might be dangerous. Maybe, maybe we should let the authorities help. Maybe we should, you know, there's traffic everywhere. We might get in his way. <laughs> and I was like, Lou, you're right. We got to, and we did a U-turn in front of the fire station, and we pulled up um, in the grass and ran up. And I mean, there are cars whizzing past us. There's frustrated cars. And we're just doing the best we can to scrape up these nails and screws. And I mean, this poor guy, he just kept saying, thank you, thank you guys, thank you guys. And I don't know what it is where the God bless you start. He's like, God bless you guys. God bless you guys. And when we finished, you know, 10 minutes later, we thought we'd gotten them all. He's like, he's like blessing us with God's favor. I was so proud of Lou. There was something in that moment 
just his instinct, Lou's instinct in that moment was, we've got to help him. We can't let that guy be alone in that intersection with all the cars. And I had a moment, I had a split second where I had to decide what, what's righteousness in this moment. There's my, there's my righteousness, what's right to me, and then there's what's right to God. God wants to work powerfully through you. Believe me, I know, I'm a pastor, I have that title, I stand on stage. Oh, it must be easy for Brad. I know what it's like to consider the thought that God wants to use me. Well, little does anyone know that thing so many years ago. Little do people know that sometimes I feel like I mess up scripture when I'm trying to answer someone's question. They're asking me with tears this very hard question that I don't have the answer to about life or why someone is gone or why they were hurt. All I know is God wants to use me. And when I see him use me, because of my past and because of my weaknesses, I know it was him that actually spoke or encouraged someone. What I know is he, got, he, he wants to use us. He wants to use people like Mary and Joseph. Just obscure people. People that would be forgotten. People that would never be known. What he's looking for is the heart that's willing to be interrupted. The question is never. I know this tendency and I hear it often and we talk about this often. I do in conversation and I've asked the question before. Why does God seem to be against me? The question is never if God is against you, but if you're against God. And Mary and Joseph show us what it's like to be able to defend being against God. This is crazy. Me? You're going to use me? You're going to do what? Excuse me. We're in the process of getting married, and we're going to, have, we're going to live in the village of Nazareth, and we're going to raise a family. You want to do What? People's lives and experiences with God's reality are depending on you saying yes and you being available and you being interruptible. That is what Mary and Joseph have taught Rudy and me and what we finished that dinner just in all of again. And that's what we've hoped to relay to you this morning. So in this Christmas season and the, the, the final crush of gifts that we haven't purchased yet and all the busyness and the events this week, my prayer is that God would interrupt all of that and mess it up in your life enough that you would realize my purpose on earth is to be part of God's will, his timing, his plan, speaking my story when I don't think it's worth sharing, something in my story God wants to use to encourage or speak life to someone else. I'll ask again, who is your one? Who is your one person in the year ahead, who is it going to be? Is it someone already in your life? Is it a coworker? Is it someone who lives on your street? Someone who's maybe going through a divorce or separated or someone with a diagnosis? Or maybe someone with just tough questions about God? I don't know who your one is. Luke had one. His name was Theophilus. And Luke set out to write an orderly account, beginning with the Christmas story, so that his friend would be confident that what was told to him, the rumors, the stories of Jesus were true. So who is your one? Who is your one going to be? Who is it that you're going to be praying about in the car? God, show me. God, give me the words. Help me to be a good friend. 
And God, interrupt my plan so that I'm part of your plan. God, interrupt my agenda so that I'm part of your strategy and I can see you work through me. I'm going to just say this quickly and move on because it's just been part of the mantra. Again, we're committed this year to spending less, to giving more, and to loving all. This is so much a part of the truth of Advent. Let's focus on less busyness, less exhaustion. Let's give more to the people around us, to what God's work is. And let's be available to love all. This world needs to see the image of God loving all people. For Christmas Eve and our Sunday mornings, how about an invitation to a person? Maybe it feels risky to you. Hey, why don't you come and see what I'm considering at church? what my faith community is talking about. Come and see and come sit with me. Come and see and come sit with me. And I conclude our time together with this daily prayer. And again, if you look for this prayer, if you don't know where to start with God any particular morning, it's always on our Dulles Church mobile app. You're welcome to take a a screenshot of this, and allow this to level set, to direct your day. And Jesus, we today conclude this message with these words. You are creator of all that is good and all that has been made. You also made your dwelling here with us, with me. This month, as our church moves toward Christmas, I recognize that you chose to move toward me You've come all the way into my hurt, my failures, into my disappointments to be close to me. Jesus, today, give me a strong sense of your presence. You near me. You with me. You close to me. Today, I allow you. I become interruptible to you, allowing you all the way into my life, my heart, my emotions, my thoughts, my deepest dreams. And remind me, Jesus, that following you means I am now part of your advent, part of your arrival into the lives of others who long for relief out of darkness. Amen. We love you, church family. You are loved no matter what is happening in life. You are not alone. Your God has not left you alone, and we as a community are not alone. We're together in this, in this pursuit of imaging him. Leave this building today feeling loved and knowing you're loved. And we will be back here one week from today, 5 p.m. for our Christmas Eve gathering. I love you guys so much.